all the many ways you watch over us. We pray for open hearts and open minds, and we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue on um, in the book of 1 Samuel today. So last week, we talked about a family that um, honored God and followed God. We talked about Elkanah and Hannah, and how Hannah was barren, but God eventually gave her Samuel. And they were a family that lived as, as righteously as they could and did what they were supposed to do and were, and were, for the most part, patient and waited on God, and God rewarded them. The family we're going to study about today is, is the exact opposite of that. It's a family that God had trusted to do certain things and had expectations for them, um, and they did not fulfill those. As a matter of fact, they took the things that God had called them to do, and they turned that into something that's reprehensible to God that was very dishonorable. I'm going to be studying today. We're in 1 Samuel. We'll be in chapter 2, and it's the story of Eli and Eli's sons. Um, if you'll remember, last week Eli was the, the priest at the temple in Shiloh um, where Elkanah and Hannah went to worship every year, and they would make their sacrifices and perform their ordinances according to Jewish law and tradition. And Eli also was the one um, that saw Hannah praying and thought that maybe she was drunk because she was praying very hard, not out loud, but in her, in her heart, and her lips were moving. Um, but she, she corrected Eli and said that she was not drunk and fervently and asking for the Lord to give her a son. And so Eli had given her a blessing. And so now we're going to talk about um, Eli and his son. So he, Eli was a priest, so he, he's a leader in had two sons that were helping him minister at the temple. And so we're going to begin with um, 1 Samuel. I'm going to read in chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. So 1 Samuel 2. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, But you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. And so we see these these two sons of Eli in the way that they're behaving. And we get a pretty good idea, don't we, from the very first sentence. It says here in the word of the Lord, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Right? And so they're really not doing what, what God has asked them to do, right? Because think about, as a priest, what was their job? What was their role? To facilitate worship. They were there to help people with the sacrifices, and God, in, the, um, in all the laws he gave and the rules for the Jewish people, the priests had certain things that they were supposed to carry out, and helping with the sacrifices, in, in sprinkling the blood um, on the altar, helping to burn the fat. They burned incense. They had very specific things that they were supposed to do, right? And all of this was to facilitate worship. And, and there were very specific directions. And 
And God takes care of his people, right? We call God, one of his names is the great provider. Well, God provided for the priests as well. And we'll look at that here in a minute. But they're, they're not following all the laws and the customs that they are supposed to do. They're helping themselves, if you will, to sacrifices that were meant to God, right? If you think of an analogy, it would be just like, you know, here we pass the offering plate if one of the deacons helped himself to some of the money out of that. That's essentially what's happening here, right? We would think that's, that's abhorrent and that's definitely wrong. Well, that's what these priests are doing because these Old Testament sacrifices were for God to show honor and respect and love for God and, and to follow what they were supposed to do. And these priests were taking these things from them. To give you a better idea of what was supposed to happen, um, let's turn back to Leviticus chapter 7, verse 29. So Leviticus 7, I'll read 29 to 30. This is God giving instructions to Moses. It said, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring this offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands are to bring offerings by fire to the Lord. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be presented as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall offer up the fat in smoke on the altar, but the breast shall belong to Aaron and his sons. You shall give the right thigh to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. The one among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat, the right, shot, the right thigh shall be his as his portion. For I have taken the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the contribution from the sons of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as their due forever from the sons of Israel. So here we see in the, in the sacrificial system, the, the Levites, right? Aaron was a Levite. He was the first priest that God ordained. And then it's his line in the tribe that, that continues on with the priest. They didn't, get, this is, they didn't get land like the other tribes. They weren't expected to farm and have vineyards and do those things because their job was to serve in the temple. So part of the way God provided for them was in these offerings. And so I don't know if you've heard um, or read in the Bible or had anybody talk about what a wave offering is. So they're bringing this, you know, they, they sacrifice the animal and they cut it up and they, there's lots of rules about what they're supposed to The blood gets sprinkled on the altar in the different ways. The priest takes care of that. The priest is supposed to burn the fat, right? But the breast, you know, the meat is a wave offering. And really what it was is the priest would take it and would wave it at the altar, but then the priest and his family got that meat. And and it was just that way where it was a sign of respect because lots of other things, you know, the other parts of the animal, they did burn by fire, right? And they're supposed to burn the fat, right? They're not supposed to eat the fat to the Lord. But what are Eli's sons doing with this? They're taking all of it, right? They're not burning the fat. They're taking all that they're supposed to do. And when they talk about um, back in Samuel, when they're boiling the meat in the pots, the people who came and sacrificed, if you remember from last week when Elkanah and Hannah went, um, Elkanah also had another wife, Penina, and she had five kids, right? But he would give Hannah a double portion. Well, it's this meat of the sacrifice. Once, it, once they had done their ordinances, the meat that was left, the family cooked and ate, right? And so that's their food, but then the priests are coming to the boiling pots of, of food, right, or pans, and they're taking that big fork and stabbing in there and taking that out. So that's, they're taking more than what God had given them, right? Because in here in Leviticus, it tells us that they get the breast, 
And then the priest himself, who's doing these ordinances for that animal, gets the right thigh, right? Which is piece of meat, which God has given them to help sustain them. So really, Eli's sons and the priests here in the temple, what are they telling God by taking all? They're not respecting the law, right? And, and they're saying to God, you're not giving me enough. I can't live on what you give me, God. You know, you're, you're not feeding me well. And, and really, when you think about that, it's just pure selfishness, isn't it? And, that, and that's really what is dishonoring to God um, and what's, you know, part of what's wrong here is they're, they're not being obedient. They're telling God, basically, you're not providing me enough. And they're, they're acting on their own. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to believe these, these men who come from the priestly line of Aaron and their family, right? So, you know, their father Eli was a priest and, you know, all the way up the line. They know what they're supposed to be doing. It's not like they're the second, you know, they're not the sons of Aaron. This has been happening for a long time. They have just chosen to take this position of power that they have, right, and authority, and they're abusing that. And they're not just doing it to a few people. It says they're doing it to everyone. And so here in the last line where it says, this, Thus the sin of young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. That's really what they're doing. They're despising God. And, they're and you know, Eli knows about this. Their father Eli knows. And so we're going to pick up, um, we're going to skip down to verse 22 in 1 uh, Samuel chapter 2. And I'll now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all the to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. And so in, in some ways, this is even more troubling to me, you know, when you read this and you study it, because we have Eli, right? And he is their father. He's a, he's a more senior priest. But he knows what's going on, right? It tells us right here in the Bible he knows. But how long do you think this has been happening? Quite a long time, probably. And so Eli has been ignoring it. And maybe he's getting a guilty conscience, right? Because it says in here, you know, Eli was very old, but he finally does. You know, it's good for him to go to his sons and say, hey, you are being disrespectful to the Lord, right? And, and in here, it even uncovers, you know, they're not just taking the offerings. You know, they're committing sexual sins with the temple, which is even another disgrace, right? It's, it's another sin in front of God that they're doing. these. And Eli's telling them they need to stop, right? But... When somebody develops a really bad habit and you, and you finally get the nerve to tell them, you know, you shouldn't really be doing that, do they usually stop right away? Probably not. You have to, probably have to be more forceful, probably have to work on them a lot harder, right? So Eli, and, and we've all been there, right? We all have, you know, had people or children that we should have stopped from a bad habit, but for whatever reason we didn't, and that continues on, and then it just gets worse. It doesn't get better. Human nature, right? Yeah, we... we we always need to remember we're, we're adopted into the family of God and we're saved, but by nature, we're sinful people. We're children of Adam. Our propensity is to always do what serves us, right? We are self-centered by ourselves. Without, without God and the work of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have no hope of ever doing any better, 
right? The reason we all are able to be more like Christ and do some of these things that we do that sacrifice for others, that show our love for God and for our neighbor is because the strength that we get through Christ, right? When you, when you read that verse that says, you know, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, some people take that and say, I can do whatever I want because God's going to help me out. Well, that's very self-serving in itself. Really what that verse means is that all the trials that you have to work through, all those difficult situations you need to deal with, you can deal with those because of the strength of Christ, right? It's not that we can order, you know, order up from God what we want. Everything goes according to God's will, and we can take care of those things, but it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ, through the love of God that we can accomplish. And so Eli's trying to tell them they need to stop, but they really don't. Part of what's in here, if we look at verse 25, is Eli's trying to help them understand if a person sins against another person, God can help mediate that. Right? But what's Eli saying? What, what happens to a, a man who sins against? Eli here is saying nobody. And remember, this is Old Testament times. When, when we sin today, who mediates on our behalf? Jesus Christ, right? When he ascended, he ascended to the throne to sit at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes on our behalf with God. Not only did he die on the cross and his blood washes away our sin, even as we continue to, to live through our lives and we make mistakes and we're not doing what we're supposed to do, Christ is interceding on our behalf. And that's, that's a big difference between Old Testament and New Testament. Is we have Christ as our Savior. He's there interceding. Right, and what, what Pastor Craig's bringing up is the, so the laws of the Old Testament, the only ones who could really help with the sacrifice, the only ones who did the temple work, who worked at the temple and did all the things that they were supposed to do, were the priests, the Levites, right, the sons of Aaron. Um, and when they start misbehaving, there really is no other way, according to Old Testament rules, that people can actually fulfill what they're supposed to do through their, all of the offerings, the sin offerings and the rings. So when that system breaks down, it's bad, right? And, and it's, it, it does have the potential to break down, right? Because in that system of how it worked in the Old Testament, there are people involved. Are, are there people involved, really, between us and Jesus Christ, our Savior? No. We have a direct line through prayer to God. And it's the, the people that get involved with things that go wrong today are, if you are not getting forgiven for sin, it's because you are not going to Christ and asking for that. You haven't accepted him as your... There is, and I think maybe what Cheryl's getting at is that we, and, and the Bible talks about it, someone who teaches right? So a, a, an elder or a, or a teacher of the word has extra responsibility and you're more culpable, right? Because, and you're not teaching it correctly and you're leading people astray. You are, you, you are responsible for that and that brings greater People who are in a position of trust need to take that seriously and that's in all things, not just the priesthood, but all. No, that's fine. And so Mary Lou's talking about in the Bible, it does tell us for conflict resolution, we're supposed to, if we see someone who's doing something they're not supposed to, we should go to them in love and, and talk to them about that and, and not just say, well, this is, this is my opinion about it, but we should take, right, if someone is being unbiblical, you know, meaning they're, they're not following God's word, we should be able to take the Bible to a believer and say, you know, this is God's word on this. This is what God says respecting, you know, this is what God says about the sacrifices that the temple is to do. You're supposed to try to resolve that. And part of that is if we don't, if we see somebody who's doing something that they shouldn't be, 
but then we don't see immediate punishment, right? Eventually, there's always punishment, right? Because what, what does Romans 6.23 tell? The wages of sin is death. And that, you know, God alludes to that in his word here because he says, um, you know, he's talking about the sons of Eli. They would not listen to the voice of their father for the Lord desired to put them to death. They're going to get what they're earning. Um, and, and sometimes God withholds punishment and judgment, and sometimes it comes immediately. You, you would hope that the, not every priest serving at the temple there was corrupt. Um, you would hope there would be other priests or even if the priests are not, you know, part of it in all of this, and we're going to see at the very end that they're, in, in many ways, they're not behaving godly, right? But Eli, in effect, what, what should we do when we see evil happening and we're not sure what we should do about it? Even if we think we know what we should do about it, what should, pray to God. Ask God and say, God, I see this and, I, and it's not right and it goes against your word. Help me know what it is that I should do make this right, to bring honor and glory back to your name, to help correct them, and, and God will help you figure out what it is you need to do. But Eli doesn't do that. He knows it's wrong. He's trying to, to correct this, but it doesn't say. You would think that there would be somebody that, you know, if Eli's an old man, he could at least go find somebody and let know. Even if all the priests in Shiloh were corrupt, there are other God-fearing Jewish people that if Eli were to go to them and you know, this is going on and we can't have it. Um, but I, you know, one way or another, God takes care of things, right? And, and as it happens here, it doesn't say Eli did any of that. Um, we're going to move on and really see what happens to the sons of Eli and Eli himself and, and the judgment that God pronounces upon them. And so um, I'm going to start in verse 27 here in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose for them all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my... Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, for those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve, and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be a sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, on the same day. Both of them will die. And so God's telling them what's going to happen to his line. Because of the, the sin that they've committed, because they've dishonored God in this way, God's letting them know that there's going to be a punishment, right? And, and it doesn't tell us who this man of God is, right? But he comes to speak to Eli. And what does he start off telling Eli? Does he just come and say, I'm going to kill your sons? No. He starts off with all of the things that God did for Eli and his family going all the way back to Aaron. 
God's reminding them through this man of God that God rescued the, the from slavery in Egypt. He carried them through the wilderness. And then God chose Aaron and his family in the, to be the priests and to give them this honor, right? And he's doing all these things through their... So God's reminding them, I've done all these things for you. But then what does God say Eli and his family have done? Basically, you know, when he says here, you know, God says, you know, why are you... Um, yeah, why, why, why do you kick at my sacrifice? You know, why are you kicking dirt on my sacrifice? You know, my offering when I've given you all these different... But, but here in God, God places the blames, you know, specifically on Eli. He says, you and your sons, you know, why have you, you know, honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of my people. Eli's just as guilty as his sons. Eli's participating in this as well. And, and so God is pointing these things out. Eli is going to be responsible along with his whole family. And so what, what is the punishment that, that God is giving them? He's going to destroy the family line, and not completely, um, but he's, he's going to have, so Hophni and Phinehas are going to die on the same day. But all of the young men of Eli's family line, there will be young men, and they'll get to a certain age, but he says they will all die in the prime of None of Eli's descendants from then on, will, they're going to die as young men. As a punishment from God to say, you know, this is because you have not done what you're supposed to do. And people will see that and understand that. Because we, we've talked about that when we, we've, we've had several lessons on widows, um, you know, women who don't have sons and things, and what happens to them in that culture. It's difficult for them, right? If you don't have a husband or a son to take care of you as a woman... You really are in dire straits. And God basically here is saying, you, you know, you will have sons for a little while, but they're never going to grow to old age. But God also, you know, in, in here, you know, he talks about, you know, far be it for me, for those who will honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be light. He's driving home that point that we, we need to love and honor God. And we need to do that not just by talking about it, but by our actions and the responsibilities that God gives us, we need to be true to those things. And then if, if you read in verse 35, it says, But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before me, my anointed always. And so God's not cutting all the people off, right? He's not saying, I'm going to get rid of all the priests so that nobody can have the, the priestly rights and nobody will take care of the temple. But he's specifically saying this line, because of what you have done, you know, there's great punishment. And so let's, let's see how this plays out. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 4, and I'm going to start with the second sentence of verse 1. And here we're back with the Philistines, right? Philistines are arch enemies of the... And they're fighting and battling all the time. And so we're here at another point where the Hebrew people are going to be battling with the Philistines. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 4, and I'm going to start with the second sentence. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer while the Philistines camped in Asia. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battle. When the people came into camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. 
So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who sits above the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What is the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves of the Hebrews, as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men. So the Philistines fought. And Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Now that's a pretty interesting recount of the battle and what happened. Can anybody see some things that were not done the way they should? They didn't talk to the Lord, right? Really, how, how, are, the, how are these people? the Hebrew people here, how are they treating God? What is God to them? Like a rabbit's foot. Like any of the other gods of the pagan tribes, when they would go to battle, they would take their god of war, who's a little carved image or something, and take it. Is that who God is? No, what, what, what was the Ark of the Covenant? A very nice box made specifically according to what God's directions were, and it was in the tent of meeting, and it was the place where God's presence was. He was represented by his presence with the Ark of the Covenant. But was God himself in the Ark of the Covenant? It was a representation of God where his presence was in the tent of me. Our, our God is a living God and he's so much bigger than that. But the Hebrew people here have taken God and reduced him to God in a box, right? And so they're like, let's go fight the Philistines. Okay, let's go. And they go and, and, and they lose, right? 4,000 men get killed and they're like man that wasn't good we need to do something different i know let's get god in the box and take him with us because then we'll win right and it's just like pastor craig said let's get our lucky rabbit's foot because surely we'll win and they go back and what happens Thirty thousand of them die think about that Thirty thousand men are killed and the philistines take the ark of the covenant and and how and say well how did this happen well where do you think it started for these folks Probably at the temple where the priests who are supposed to be following the rules and forming the ordinances and representing God well on earth and doing what they're supposed to do start cheating and becoming self-centered. And they, they're totally losing who God is and what they're supposed to do. Right, and they, it's, it's exactly right. What Cheryl's saying is that they've, they've lost the relationship with God and they've replaced that with the priests and the Ark of the Covenant and all these other things. And, and that's a very real danger for us. Right, so we need to remember you know, coming to coming to Sunday school is awesome. I appreciate that you guys come here and you listen to me and we talk about word. This is not the be all end all. If this is the complete realm of your interaction with the living God, very mistaken. 
having that living relationship, that active relationship with God in all aspects of your life is what he calls us to. Sunday school is a good thing. Worship is a good thing. Going to Bible studies is a good thing. Serving your neighbor, even if they're not a believer, is a good thing. Doing all these things that God wants us to do. But as soon as we start thinking about, you know, and really what they've done here is they have taken an infinite God who spoke the universe into being, who raised Christ from the dead. They have taken him and shrunk him down to this very convenient little package that they can trot him out when they want him and then send it back, right? And, and we cannot have a relationship with God like that. God has to be in our lives and be the center of our lives and not just be the genie in the bottle that when things are going really bad, we call on God to come save us, right? We need to always be honoring, being a right relationship with God. We always need to thank God. Even in the hard times, we need to thank God. And certainly, when we are in trials, we need to call on the living God and ask him for direction and understanding about what we are supposed to do. Right? And, and praise him in good times and, and really understand that we're here to serve God. We're not here to serve us. The priests were there to serve themselves. You know, they're, it's just a good example of, of what not to do. Yes, and what Mary Lou was saying is you know, if, if you are a leader and, and you're not acting in a righteous way and you're not following God, that that leader will fail and all of the people underneath them more than likely will fail. And that started with Eli, right? Because he didn't keep his sons in line and the other priests. He didn't stop it when it was happening. It ends up, you know, everybody goes down that wrong path and they get far enough away that, that this happens, right? So, you know, firstly, they probably, you know, it doesn't say in here whether they did or not, but they should have consulted with God. Should we go fight the Philistines here, right? And how should we do that, right? And they didn't. But then when they were defeated, and they understood that God wasn't with them, right? And that, this is part of the amazing thing when we look at this and we read, well, how did they not get it? Because it says um, here in verse 3, when the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Why is God not with us? They should have immediately thought, wow, we had better go and ask God, right? And this happened in, in the not-too-recent past for the Hebrew people. Do, do you remember the story of the Battle of Ai with Joshua when they came in and they were first conquering the Promised Land? Remember the Battle of Ai and they had this town, and it wasn't a big town and it was fortified, but Joshua thought, you know, we're going to go, right, they're supposed to go and defeat all these towns. And then... He sends some scouts, and they come back, and they say, well, there's not that many people there, and it's not that big. We don't need to send everybody. And so they send some soldiers, and they got beat, right, when they come back. But what was Joshua's reaction? He went to God. He, he humbled himself before the Lord, and he tore his clothing, and he prayed, and he said, God, what did we do wrong? And, and why, why have you forsaken us, and why are you not with us? Because you, you told me you would be with me, and nobody would defeat me. And God told him, because you didn't come to me first and ask me what you should do, right? And so after they humbled themselves and they prayed to God, God gave them a battle plan where they were able to defeat Ai. Right? And, and maybe if the Hebrews would have done that, if they would have remembered what Joshua did, maybe they could have saved the lives of these 30,000 men, right? But they're so determined to do things their very own way that they just do it, right? And, and not only do they, you know, they lose the Ark of the Covenant, this this. Not God, but a symbol of God, an important part of their worship, right? God didn't have them make the Ark of the Covenant just so they would have a nice centerpiece in the tabernacle. It was there for a purpose. The Ark of the Covenant served a purpose. And now it's been captured by the enemy. 
And so just a really good illustration of when, when things start to go wrong, if we don't immediately go back to God and find out why things aren't working out and try to establish that right relationship, we will just go off the deep end fast, and the consequences can be... So thinking through this story here with um, Eli and his sons and, and how the battle went here and what they did to try to fix it that wasn't good either, what are, what are some lessons you think that we can think of that we can apply? It is a relationship and not a formula, exactly. There's not a, we don't get to save up tickets from God and then turn our tickets. And, and part of that is to just be satisfied with what God gives us, right? That's part of why I think maybe Eli's sons were taking more than they were supposed to was they weren't satisfied with what God was giving them. Pray first. Yes, pray first, pray during, pray after. Prayer is a good thing. We have that, you know, Christ is interceding there at the right hand, and God is there, and we have that amazing thing that God has set up for us, which is prayer. Call on God and seek that guidance earnestly, and the more we do that, the more we are in that right relationship with God, and the easier it is for us to understand when God's saying, do this. Yes, and Eli did not make sure his sons were in a right relationship with God, and so I think that's another lesson we can learn is that as, as leaders and responsible adults, if we are in a position of authority, we have to take that seriously because we'll be held accountable. And if those underneath us, be it family members in our family, our children, um, if we're in a leadership position in church, if you're a Sunday school teacher and your kids are getting out of line and they're not doing things they're supposed to, in a, in a loving, godly way, we need to have discipline, right? Discipline is part of God's plan. We need to discipline ourselves. We have to sacrifice Give up the things that we want to do God's will for us. I think something else that we need you know, to look at this is God, God will punish. God will judge. He's, he's a loving God, but he's a righteous God. And he has rules he wants us to obey. God has laid out very plainly what it is we need to do to be saved. And once we're saved, how we should act. And we need to work on that and we need to follow that. And I, I think, you know, the last thing I... I would like to bring up is we we need to treat God with the respect and the honor that he has. He is the living God. He is God Almighty. He is all-powerful, you know, the self-existent one. And, and we cannot cheapen him by using him as, you know, like I said before, a genie in a bottle. We can't just call on God when things are not going the way we want or when we really want something. We need to talk to God all the time. And the more we talk to God and the more we study our scripture and the more we act in a Christ-like way, the easier it becomes for us, right? And the more that honors God and the more other people around us will see that and hopefully...